Hello, my loves. It is yours truly, Lala Kent. With Ram. And we are back at it again. I'm super excited for our guest today because anyone who has more talent in their pinky nail than most people have in their entire bodies, I'm just fascinated by. Well said. Very well said. <laughs> Try to comprehend that whole statement. Did it make any sense? No, it, not- it's Monday and I'm coming off of Mother's Day. Randall <laughs> brought my mom and my brother in and I'm going to be honest, like I have to force myself to not be lazy and today it's a struggle. I know, but let's be let's let's give ourselves a little a little grace here. It's we're still in quarantine in Los Angeles. That word. I, I never when this is over, you guys, I never want to hear the word quarantine ever sense. again. Yes. So not only are we quarantine, we had family in town and it's Monday. It's like, yeah, it's like we need to like light a stick of dynamite in our asses to get to wake up. <laughs> That's exactly how yeah. I feel. Okay. So we got it. But, but we got to do it today because. You know what? People rely on us to, to, to light them up. So we're going to do it today. Honestly, I rely on this podcast to make me feel amazing. It's like I could be in the worst mood ever. And then after we record a podcast, I'm like, let's get this shit popping. Best oh. day ever. Well, I'm excited because Emil Hirsch, you know, I just want to tell you a little story that uh, I first met Emil on Lone Survivor and we share not only a love for movies, but we share a love for poker, which I know you right now haven't seen a lot of poker in the last few months, but we were in New Mexico together for a while. And we, uh, we, we, every day off we have, we play poker together. He is the nicest human in the world. And now I'm fortunate enough to be directing him in this movie midnight. So I know there's a lot of movies we both love that he's been in. And I think he's going to share, uh, some fun stories for us. It's funny because you say that you guys used to play poker and now with the state that we're in, yeah. you guys play pickleball together. He was just at the house. That's you know, right. Whacking some balls around like a, like a little gangster. Why don't it's, we, why don't we tell people about your experience that day in the pickleball match, your real commitment and lack of, there's this thing called being like a sore loser. <laughs> and that is exactly what I am. If I'm playing a game and I'm getting my ass kicked, I, I will just give up and walk away, which is exactly what happened. Well, and I want to I want to elaborate on that a little bit. OK, Let's, I'm sure you would. Do you want me to pivot again? <laughs> uh, Tell him. No, I want <laughs> really going to mock me on Monday. What I want to say is you're a really good pickleball player and you are and you're a great athlete. What happens to you, what people don't know, is that when you get down by two or three points, you basically check the fuck out. And not only do you check out. I'm your partner on team trying to win still, you're done. You were preaching housewives in the middle of the game. Yeah. Well, because I love playing pickleball, but when Randall tells me that he wants me to come out and play and I'm balls deep in season three of Real Housewives of New York and I'm having an epic throwback moment and you take me out of that moment, like I'm just disconnected. I'm like, I love the game, but I love Housewives more. So I'm just like pissed off. But I will tell you something, Emil and Lucas Haas, who we had playing with us, both gave you a lot of props when you went inside, which I I know you never heard, but they're like, man, that's cool. Your chick plays pickleball and she's badass and da da da. So they did give you a lot of props just for the effort. It just wasn't your greatest pickleball day. No, (laughs) neither was yesterday. (laughs) My mom is on the court. We're having the best time ever. Here's the thing. Randall and I should never be on On opposing teams teams because 
way too competitive and then he's like the most annoying winner ever i love you randall but you are wow that's that's and so i'm watching him and he's winning and i'm like (laughs) i'm defining it right now i'm watching you on the other side of the net and i'm like god i want to smack him with my pickleball racket right now just over and over again (laughs) because you're the most annoying winner ever you let what does people, that mean? It means that you're like, I mean, yeah, I winning, bend over, I'm the best winner ever. It's bend just like, over? I don't know. What whatever the fuck the was that? Is. Wait, so you're telling me when I win, I told you to bend over? Okay, this is bullshit. First of all, I'm going to defend myself. I, I think like you're putting on a show here. What is going on? I don't know what you say. I am a great fucking winner. You're the worst I'm winner. A com- I'm a competitive person well so am i that's why we should be on the same team <laughs> well we already agree that going forward no matter what under any circumstances we are going to be on the same team for life and in, I'm, in I'm gonna try to be a better loser but it hasn't bullshit. happened yet i mean i'm almost saying, 30 and i've been doing this since i was a kid like fuck this game i'm out if i'm not winning <laughs> if you're down by two points you quit i mean let's just be honest because i'm better than that i'm a winner <laughs> you know and when i'm losing i'm like you're better than this Okay. So just get the fuck out and have like some pride the still. Cra- <laughs> the crazy thing is you are a really good pickleball player. It's just the mental part of the game we got to work on a little bit. Just a little bit. There's a lot of things mentally I should be working on on well, a regular basis, not just when it comes to pickleball. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> that makes two of us. All right. Can I say Can I say something? What? You remember my favorite nickname for you, Hoopies? Hoopies! I wish people could see you right now because you have the hoops the size of your head again back in it, and it just makes me so happy. And with the ear, with the headphones, Are they kind smushing of them against your face, it's like some robotic mask you have on. It's pretty fucking funny. It's, you should, you got a screenshot and put that on your gram so people, okay. at, when it comes out, can see what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right, oh I, we're, we're, we got to go to break here, and then after we're going to bring Emil Hershon. Okay, I like it. All right. We are back, beautiful people, and we have an epic guest on the line. The greatest. The greatest. We have Emil Hirsch on the line. Emil? Hello. Yeah. <laughs> what up? Yeah. Yes, we, I love the energy. It's Monday, and Emil is firing like me. It you is need- Monday. I am no Garfield. I like Mondays. <laughs> That's good. So, first of all, I want to say your pickleball skills are on point. We've I've been talking about it since you left the house. I'm going to kick your ass next time you come to the house with that little zinger. <laughs> Dude, that was honestly, that was some funny funny amazing times because oh my god like me and randall are both so competitive beyond and when we got when we got on the court but it's funny because i'm such like a like a mental player and i actually like randall's frustration when we were playing actually like (laughs) made me that much better that's great Like like i'm not even normally that good but because randall was so competitive like it like really brought it out of me and that was honestly so much fun dude i'm gonna tell you Emil, Wait, I-, I hope that you talk that same way when you think of him as a director <laughs> no 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 by the way by the way i actually i told him i texted him afterwards i was like you know how he i know did. you're a great director randall you bring the best out of me i oh, i love that that's amazing that is very I, honestly kind. i'm not I'm, I'm really not joking there's some people 
that they just they bring the best out of other people around them and randall is really you you are one of those guys oh thank you buddy That's and i'll really tell you sweet. he did he did text me after and that meant a lot and i want to tell you i'm competitive as fuck and you whip my ass which I'm very upset about, and I've been working every day with a coach. That's how obsessed I am. So come on back, and I'll give you your ass whipping you deserve. Well, no. See, now I'm scared. Now I'm scared to go back. By the way, Emil, sometimes it's better to just take the win and revel in it forever. <laughs> yeah, just never go back. Like, no, no, no I'm good. I, I don't play anymore. I'm more into ping pong now. You know, I um. I went skateboarding the other day with my homie Kenny from high school. Oh, I love and it. And he, he hit me up. He's like, should we do some like social distance skateboarding full? And I'm like, stop full. All right, full. I'll see you later, full. That's <laughs> <laughs> like literally how we talked in high school. Just like these dumbass LA guys. So I roll up to his place with my skateboard. And mind you, I did Lords of Dogtown when I was 19, but I was like a skateboarder in middle school. But it has been friggin' years since I've skated. But I used to do these kick flips and I could kick flip over things. So I started skating and immediately we go we go to like some curb and everyone, by the way, is looking at us like, what are these guys in their mid thirties doing like with their shirts <laughs> off skating on the curb? And, and this is this is actually really embarrassing, but like Kenny's house is right across the street, like right by my son's pediatrician's office. Oh my God. Oh, wow. So like, I'm literally a shirtless dude skating in front of his like son's doctor's office. Like I was like, this is kind of, this is kind of like weird. Oh but yeah. We do it. Kenny immediately tries to like 180 up a curb. The board flies out from underneath him and he just gets bodied to the chest. Oh just, like, still shit. For a minute. And I'm like, oh no, Kenny, it's been a while. I was like, Kenny, this was your idea. You can't like break your spine on your first trick. But we eventually got a few takes of me kick flipping over a board. I hadn't done that trick in 18 years. Oh my God. But I landed it. I stuck it. I put it on my Instagram. I was like so proud of it. Oh, you did? You stuck it? I did. So I tried to do a kick flip four days later. And I had like bruised my hamstring a week before. So when I landed my first kickflip, I tried it. It was like a shooting pain. And I just like went to the ground and I was like, Oh, I'm not 12 anymore. Oh, my oh that's God. when, you know, you're, you're a grown ass man. Now you yeah. can't be doing that stuff. That the, I disagree. The young ones are disagree. Doing. Disagree. I just want to tell you that when I bought my kids a skateboard cause just cause they wanted one. And I thought, oh, I'm going to bring it back to Miami old school. And how did that had, go for you? Not good. But we actually, exactly. but I just hold on. First of all, I could kick the board out still, but I cannot flip that shit anymore. That's gone. Those days are over, over. over. But Emil, I give you mad props for going out there and still crushing. I do mad props. Yeah. I mean, it had, it had legit been 18 years since I'd kicked flipped like a boss over a skateboard <laughs> on the side. And no, by the way, I just want to tell you, Lords of Dogtown, for those who have not seen it is one of the greatest ever. I mean, just epic film. And I just want to oh, ask, I just want to ask you a few questions. Like, cause people have watched you, yeah. you, you've won awards, you've been nominated for everything and you're considered, and I'm going to blow your ego up. You are considered one of those actors that are the real deal. And when I say that from an industry point of view, I think audiences know, but they don't know how to verbalize it. It's like, there's the Joaquin Phoenixes, the Daniel Day Lewis's and the Emil Hirsch's of the world. People that you know, when you bring them onto a film, you're going to get the highest level of quality. And and I've always said that to you since we did Lone Survivor together. And you know that. I mean, I know you don't say it, but there are just certain actors that are true artists that really... That you cannot stop watching. Yeah, you can't stop watching. Right. And you're one of them. Just tell people how you started 
like in the industry? Just, you know, how did you get out? Like, you, you grew up in LA. How, how did it all happen? Yeah. Well, first off, I want to give a shout out to my recently, very recently deceased late grandfather's brother. My, I guess he's my grand uncle Cliff who died a few weeks ago at the extraordinary age of 99 Oh, Damn. and uh, great wow. guy. And he, him and his wife, Gladys were famous Hollywood studio teachers, like for like 40 years. So, and they, and they lived out in Malibu. So when me and my sister were kids, my dad used to take us out there and Cliff and Gladys used to be like, Oh yeah, we were teaching Elijah Wood on set and kids on this and this and this, and you kids could do it if you want. And Gladys was super encouraging. And I was like six or seven. And my sister was really into it. So I was like, well, this sounds kind of weird, but it sounds kind of cool being in a movie and like getting paid and like, oh, wow. that's pretty cool. You know, I was like, man, I could probably buy a lot of toys with that loot. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, fully, fully. What age was this again? It was probably like six or six or seven. Wow. We started hearing the stories from Cliff and Gladys. So by like eight or nine, my... My dad, he, uh, you know, he talked to some agent in Hollywood, who I think was like Julia Roberts' agent at the time. He somehow got a hold of her and asked her some questions, and she recommended him to like Samuel French Bookstore, which is basically like the like, oh, yeah. get out of my face, random person. It's like, oh yeah, just go to Samuel French Bookstore and look up how to anything. By the way, Sunset Boulevard, Samuel French, I remember, I remember. It's like the big yeah, uh, acting he, playwrights, you know. Story. Yeah, so my dad got this book. How to make, like how how to uh, raise a rising star guide to showbiz kids and their parents by this guy David Mattis who was he's like a manager surfer out in Venice who like basically just like had kids going like commercial auditions and bookable jobs and he would like surf half the day and he's a cool guy so we met we went and met him and uh, at first he didn't want anything to do with me he's like this guy's goofy he can't remember any lines <laughs> my sister was like way cooler and like went more into it. Um, and then over the years, it was like a thing where I did a couple of summer camps, you know, in Topanga doing right. like Shakespeare. And the, I associated acting because I went to this Will Gear Theatrical Botanicum summer camp with like being outside in nature in the summer and like playing. So it was like the best intro to acting, you know, oh, that's it wasn't cool. like, yeah, it was like outside fun with other kids. Like, oh, this is, this is fun. This is like a hike with costumes. And then it, it just, I just inched my way forward, like year after year. It was, it was not like, oh, we got discovered and put in this lead role in a movie. It was like, I really did like grind it out from like 10 to like 15 of just doing tiny, like right. bigger and bigger parts, like commercials and then little parts on guest stars and then slightly bigger parts and then a TV movie. And then, you know what I mean? And then finally, like when I was like 15, I, I got a role in a movie. It was the first movie that I'd ever done. And then I, that actually was the lead role in the movie. It was this movie called The Dangerous Lives of Ultra Boys with uh, Kieran Culkin and Jenna Malone. And they're both great. In the Wait, movie. was it Jodie Foster in that movie too? And Jodie, Fo yeah, Jodie. And <laughs> yeah. Jodie produced it too. Just a few little actors you work with. Yeah. 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 And we had a, and that was just, it was, it was cool. So, you know, I had a, you know, from then I just kind of kept doing it and, uh, it was a thing where I think halfway, like in like my late teens, mid teens, like I started really like getting into other older actors, you know, like Sean Penn and Marlon Brando and, you know, Meryl Streep, Kate Winslet, he's just great. Yeah, just great actors and like studying them for the first time and really appreciating them. I remember my sister's boyfriend when I was like 14 or 15, he was like this shaved head Buddhist monk dude. Who's cool, 
but he was like obsessed with Brando and he sat me down and played me Streetcar Named Desire and was like, watch his every move. He is a genius. And I was oh like, God. what? And then I started watching and I was like, wow, you kind of got a point, Alex. Dude, that's amazing. I, I remember the first time I saw you step into the scene, which I, I must have been maybe high school and you did The Girl Next Door. Yeah. <laughs> and it's crazy yeah. to me because that movie was very lighthearted and fun. And then you're doing movies with, you know, Mark Wahlberg. And then you did, you know, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like your range is incredible oh, no, and insane. effortless. It's insane. And I want to I say something to that effect. I mean, I got to work with My Lone Survivor and, 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 and an epic film that I think we both feel is probably a special moment in right. both of our lives. But I, I got to tell you into the wild is, and I'm still a fan girl over into the wild. Just tell, I know you've done this a hundred times, but just give us like how brutal was the production period? How long was it? And, and what were the, what was the environment like? Cause you know me, you could call me at the four seasons of the Ritz. That's, that's about as brutal as I can deal. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> but, but tell me how, like, was it really as ruthless as the film feels when you're watching it the environment i mean i would say and obviously i haven't been on every movie shoot that <laughs> actors ever done right. but in terms of like the the physical and mental pressure I, I honestly don't know if there's ever quite been a role for an actor that would have that because i remember at the time being like I like, I was like, I don't even know if I can keep like, this is so hard. This is like, I was like, I don't know. Like, I think I did it because I was 21. Right. And I was really, really like so motivated. I knew I had the role of a lifetime. I worshiped Sean Penn. I still worship Sean. Sean oh, Penn. he's the greatest. The greatest. A, he's just a God to me. Oh. To the point where it's actually like affected our friendship because I'm just such a sick of fan around him. It's like, and, he and you know, he, he like, he hates that. You know what I mean? But yeah. it's like, I can't help it. I just, I like, I'm normal around most people. And then I get around Sean and I just turn into this fan girl and I know he's just disgusted. And, um, I can't, I can't, I can't, I'm, I'm dying. Just, this is the fun. I mean, the, what's crazy that people don't know. And I know you, you, you're a very private person. And so we appreciate you being on here. But like you're around the biggest movie stars in the world, and a lot of them are your friends because you guys just grew up together. So for you to like even have this conversation that you're in awe <laughs> of Shaw is like it's just it's crazy to me because I know the kinds of actors that you're friends with and 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 create with. So that's that's amazing that you still have that you know thing. Yeah, the, I mean Sean, he just he has this fiery heart of integrity and courage and this drive, and it just it extends to so many different aspects of his life and everything, all the activism he does and the humanitarian work. He's just, he's so the man. Um, and making that film, like, because I felt the way I did about Sean, it was like, I did whatever that was asked. And, you know, I wasn't like known or anything. Like I could not imagine any movie star doing that at all. There's just no, like there's, there's no way. Was there ever a moment on that movie where you ever asked yourself like, holy shit, this is really scary. Like this is a moment I've been here. Like they're really pushing the boundaries. The environment is really fucking with you. 
or were, you know, did you always just feel like, okay, it's just a tough shoot? Like, just curious at 21, did you ever have that moment? I mean, there were, there were so many times that I felt like that, that it was almost like when I didn't feel like that, I noticed it. I was like, oh, oh wow. wow, I don't feel like, you know, because so much, because we didn't, there was no stuntman. So all the, all the hiking and the, the kind of the wildness, it was, uh, it was just the most physical part I've ever done. And then when you mix that on top with the kind of the isolation of the role and how the pressure as a performer of being so solo in that capacity for such a long period of time also is like a little bit at play. And then when we did the weight loss. Oh, yeah. How many, how many pounds did you lose for that? Yeah, I'm sure a lot of our listeners want to know how you lost, what, 40 pounds for this role? Oh, wow. It was like, yeah, it was like 42. So oh, my I basically, I started running like a beast early on, like a beast. Because I, I, I was actually a little bit out of shape when I got the part. And Sean was like, you should get real fit, even to just be the normal Chris McCandless, because McCandless was fit. So I lost a bunch of weight even before we started shooting. And then once we were shooting, I just became a runner, salad eater. And then when we did the maximum weight loss part, it was like we shut down for like two and a half weeks. And I was doing like this tiny, tiny, tiny diet of eating little protein shakes. But I was doing two spin classes a day. Oh, my One in the morning and one in the late afternoon. And it was like maximum I that that was definitely the I think the hardest thing I've ever done because it was like two months or so where I was like all I could think about was food. Of course, when you're being deprived of it, yeah. Like, on top of you know, and anyone who does spin classes, even just one, I can't imagine doing two a day. That is so taxing on your body. Yeah, it's hard. And like eating nothing between the classes was like it was just really extreme, dude. You're a legend. You're gonna. You're <laughs> fucking legendary. Yeah, I have a hard time losing three pounds, let alone forty two. But that's what makes well, the you. The funny part is that I do. I do too. It's not like I can yeah. just do that regularly. <laughs> you know, it's like it. It, it takes. It takes like that kind of um, you know situation to sort of bring that out of you, where you know it's like you know the you know the the pressure's on, and you wanted. I wanted to do it right, and that role and that story meant so much to me, and I I knew. I think. I really didn't know at the time that the movie was going to be like remembered for a long time. Cause like, even now it's crazy. Like I get messages from people in every country around the world on, on Instagram and stuff that have seen the movie and they're like obsessed with it. And like every country, like wow. it's crazy. It's like wow. smash hit in India. It's like smash hit in Asia, you know, it's like yeah. smash it in South, <laughs> South America. So, and the people, the people that really get into it are like, it's not a normal movie experience for them. You know, it like really is it like a lot of people feel like it's changed their lives in a huge way. I want to say to that, it really resonated even to this day with me. Um, And and I agree, Emil, it's when a movie has that kind of effect on such a mass amount of people, you really did something special. And I know that's what we all dream and that's why we make movies. And that movie checked every box in my opinion it just every box on every level it just was it's just there's nothing that you know you could criticize so many movies for so many different reasons we all do there are a few movies that you cannot and that's one of them so i'll give you mad props. oh thanks for yeah it's it's uh 
It was epic. We're going we're gonna to go to a quick break, and when we come back, I want to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, another epic role and movie. And obviously, I know you have this awesome, blossoming music career, and I want to hit on that. So we'll be back in a minute. We are back with Emil Hirsch, and I'm just like, my jaw's on the floor because everything that you've done with your career, and you so deserve it because I feel like anybody who cares about their craft as much as you do and just bringing a story to life and making people that are watching want to feel something is truly incredible. You don't find that very often in actors. You know, it's just something where they show up, they do their job. But the way he was, the way Emil was talking about Into the Wild, I was like every, like magical. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. So, So on that note, uh, Lala and I obviously were lucky enough to have gotten to go through the award circuit and we saw you everywhere mm-hmm. during, during, uh, and you know, it's funny cause we complain and now we're in this pandemic lockdown and it's like, I wish oh, yeah. I could have that moment again, right. but, um, yeah. but, um, you know, congratulations and, and you were side by side and you guys won a plethora of awards in once upon a time in Hollywood. Tell us just that experience working with the great Quentin Tarantino and, and the cast, you know, uh, I mean, I know Leo's one of your, Leo DiCaprio is one of your close friends and all these guys you work with, I know you know. Just what's the takeaway? How epic was it? Um, well, it originated where I got a message on Facebook, uh, a friend request <laughs> oh my from God. a little, from a doll. It was like a doll emoji or something that said Quentin Tarantino. And I was like, what? Oh my I was God, like, I'm already dying. I was like, is this like some weird catfish or something? So I clicked, <laughs> I like clicked onto like mutual friends and I was like, wow, well, he's friends with that person. That person is like, not like that. That person's kind of legit. Oh so, so I like accepted the friend request and then I got this message like, Hey, Mia, what's up? And I was like, uh, is this you? And he's like, yeah, I'm like working on a project might have like a part that you might be right for. And I was like, Oh my God, if this is some like Sri Lankan teenager in a basement (laughs) right now, I'm going to be so annoyed. And I was like, um, yeah, no, this is me. Is this you? Like this, this would really be cool. This is you. He's like, it's me. And I was like, okay. And he's like, yeah, I'll keep you updated. So like months went by and I wouldn't hear from this Facebook account. And every now and then it'd be like, Oh, you know, I'm still kind of progressing and, this and this, but I still didn't know if it was real. Oh, and my I was God. so I was so excited. And originally, like, I asked my agent, I was like, "This this guy claiming to be Quentin Tarantino sent me a message that he might be in his movie." And my agent was kind of like, eh, "Sounds a little fishy, fishy, kind of weird, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, like you know, like you might be a little hopeful, kid." But it turned out to really be a real thing, and it was like almost a year later that the movie even went into production. Like he really hit me up early and he had seen this movie. I did the autopsy of Jane Doe. He'd watched it with Eli Roth and they just loved this movie. And he just, he saw me as this character, JC bring, who was this amazing hairstylist of the era uh, era. And he just was like, he's the guy. And Quentin is, you know, he's really, he's just a great, he's a great guy. He's got a huge heart. He's just got this turbine engine of a mind that just never stops. And I really, you know, he was, he was such a cool gentleman throughout the process. And I have, obviously I was so in awe of him for such a long time and the chance to get to work alongside him and Margo and, and Leo. And it was just, it, it really felt like 
for me at the time, it was like, if you get to do a Quentin Tarantino movie, that, like, that's the exci- the most exciting director an actor could want to work with. You know, oh, yeah. just that, that excitement, that zing. And, uh, it was, it was amazing. It was, it was really amazing. And it, it, it's funny because my biggest flaw for the people that I really admire is like, it's just, I get starstruck by people. It's hard for me to like, rela- like relax, you know, wow. so interesting to hear says, that. Well, when Tarantino says action, it's like, it's just, it's so hard for me to like be chill. I'm just like, Oh my God. It's like, it's like a moment that you know is going to be in history. Cause it's just everything Quentin Tarantino uh, like Martin Scorsese, they make films that stand for generations. So you, you probably know subconsciously deep inside, like you are putting your mark in history. I feel like the feeling of, you know, Quentin Tarantino yelling action on you would feel like you just got pushed out of an airplane. Like that, like the amount of anxiety I would feel because he's the greatest. And like, yeah. like you're saying, Emil, it's like you've been a fan of his work for such a long time and he's so incredible that you do. I I would totally be starstruck too, and I don't really care about anybody. I know that both of you can relate. Like when I call action on my set, Emil, it's kind of the same thing. <laughs> right? Like you have you just have this like total like rush of adrenaline. But in a way too, like Randall, like when we work together, I feel like because we were friends before. Yeah, it's so it's just there's a familiarity there, and I really understand why actors work with directors over and over again because you know the familiarity is great you know the movie that i shot right before um we started shooting our film was this movie son that i did with this irish director ivan cavanaugh and it was the second film it was the first time i worked with a director twice and uh it was like really a kind of different experience of making a movie and i realized then for actors just how much of a psychological effect the director has on all the actors. It is massive. It changes the experience. I want to add to that. You know, I'm going to tell you something, Emil, and I didn't tell you this before because we were just so caught up in the movie and the moment and creating, but I told my partner, George, I said, you know, I thank God you came to the table first because you're right. Even though it was my first movie directing, we had done many movies before this as, as a producer actor relationship. You made me feel very comfortable and I almost, you know, I used you as a sounding board. You know, I came to you many times in the prep, you know, the, the pre-process and I'd get your opinion and your advice because you are my friend and I do trust you and I respect your work. So when we got on set, I was probably the most comfortable with you because I know you and I knew that I could do things with you and you know what I mean? Because because I, I just have that relationship and right. I agree with you. It makes sense to me now why directors and actors stick together when they have a good creative relationship because it is familiarity and it, and it opens up the creative process even more. Okay. So absolutely. I, I, absolutely. Even, even, even the first day we were shooting on midnight in the switchgrass, the, our film, I was like, I felt so relaxed and I was like, Oh man, it was, it was great. Yeah. You know? And, and whenever I feel like that, it just, uh, it, the best always comes out of me. It's just the, that's just the way it is. That's what Robert De Niro even said that in an interview, he's like the most important thing for actors is to be just relaxed. You know, I, I agree with you. And I'll tell you something. I have, I was the most relaxed day one. I probably would have been like an, an insane asylum patient, but because, you know, I had you there on day one, it, it, it was the same for me. I, I literally was like, dude, I got this. This is my, a friend of mine. And he's here to create and I trust him and he's going to just 
bring it. And I it was love easy. this actor director bromance that you guys have. It's really <laughs> sweet. <laughs> I really love it. Wait, one last thing before, because I want to talk about the music. I got to tell a story. People don't realize that Carney's, Emil and I, it's our favorite hamburger place. There's one on Sunset, one on Ventura. How many, mm-hmm. how many movies have come out of that when we've run into each other at Carney's? I mean, it's pretty epic. It's, it, I mean, it's amazing. I, I ran into Randall. I was eating a burger alone at Carney's, and I ran into Randall. I was like, what's up, dude? What are you doing? He's like, what's going on? I was like, well, I just did this movie with Quinn, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm making this movie with Mel Gibson right now. And I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. And then you were like, it was like a light bulb went off. You're like, yeah, I'm going to call your agent about it tomorrow. I was like, sounds good to me. I, that sounds amazing. I this is it. all so Hollywood. Can I tell you, this is like the shit I would imagine when I lived in Utah. I'm like, I bet that's how it goes down. I swear to you, I was eating. I was by myself, by the way. I was by myself, too, or maybe I, I was assistant. I can't remember. But I literally, I, I, Emil said he just finished movie. I was like, oh, my God, we don't have a lead for this movie. Emil, and Emil's like, dude, send it to me. I called his agent. I think it was like three or four days later, Emil, we were doing the deal. It was pretty epic. Yeah, it was so quick. I was like, man, that was the best burger I've ever had. I liked Carney's before, but now I love Carney. Oh my and, uh, and, and, and by the way, like I love that movie. I, I, I watched it recently a couple times, Force of Nature, Michael Polish's movie. And the, the part, it's just, it's, so, it's such an entertaining role. Oh, it's and so Mel funny. Is like, Mel is vintage Mel. It's like the part you want to see Mel in. Like the lethal weapon guy, like 35 years later. I, I, so I, I agree. And by the way, we're having actually uh, Michael and Kate Bosworth on uh, the week after uh, you. So that's so that's perfect segue. Oh, that's yeah, great. right. Yeah. Okay, Emil, yeah, I have to know the movie. I have seen that movie and it is fun. I have to ask you about your new music. I'm a music head. Tell me everything. <laughs> yeah. How did this start and everything? Tell us. Well, the music originally started, I did this movie with J.K. Simmons called All Nighter, and I played a bluegrass singer. And they gave me like a real band to work with for a few songs I had to sing in the movie. And my buddy was, I played a, a cover song we did. My, brother, my buddy was like, that's cool. He's like, why don't you record some originals? So I started sitting down and I started like writing out melodies and lyrics. And then I took them to the band and they were like, these are cool. So we ended up, literally recording an entire bluegrass album in the genre of the band player that I did. So it was like some weird, like method actor experiment where it's like, I made the album of the character's band. And we like released it. It's called, uh, the album was called simple things. It's, it's actually out by our band name in the movie was hysterical kindness. And we kept that. Oh my! And God. I really, I really enjoyed the process of songwriting so much that I kept writing songs after the movie and this was five, this was five years ago now. So I've been songwriting for the last five years and I've been working with like different producers and I I moved on from the guys that uh, did historical kindness because they were kind of getting into some other stuff. And I worked with these other kind of rock producers and different. And then I finally found this French guy, the Frenchman, Mathieu Caratier. Okay. And he, he was, he's like this French Orson Welles kind of dude. who's like, so talented and kind of very like just like a dark like deep voice very serious kind of guy and uh he was um, we had a mutual friend and we made one song together and i was like this is kind of like a this is an interesting sound and we we made a few songs and then we finally kind of hit the vein of almost like 
kind of like the weekend song blinding lights where it's oh my like, gosh so little, good it's, it's got a little like retro 80s but it's like it feels fresh and new almost like it could be on the drive soundtrack or something okay and we just oh, we just cool. really we just really pushed in that direction and we worked non-stop pretty much for like almost a year and we made this album called mnemonic somewhat based off the johnny mnemonic movie which i saw uh, I just love that word mnemonic and it's like a memory device. <laughs> and I was like, hopefully. Yeah, no, it's through. really good. And where Memorable. where can we download your music? Because I'm about to do this yeah. as soon as we sign yeah, off. Like, well, <laughs> you can get it. It's basically, you can get it on any music platform. It's under Hirsch and it's like Spotify or Apple Music or Google Play or Tidal or Deezer or any any one of those places, even YouTube. You can hear the songs and we've made, we put out now 22 songs. We just put this song out last week called favors, which is actually probably it's kind of considered by like the music people in the radio world to be our like best, most commercial song or whatnot. And it's, you know, what's crazy. I sent it to this buddy of mine, this guy, Steven Cervanka, and he called me back and he's in the music business. And he's like, dude, this is like, pretty radio with it. he's like i'm gonna send this to my contact at deezer wow and he sent it to his buddy at deezer and the guy pitched it to deezer and deezer is like spotify but they're huge in like latin america and uh, yeah no Parisian i'm familiar with them France. and they put us number three on their biggest playlist which is the selection for mexico and central america it's got 6.7 million uh followers what? of the playlist they put his number three, dude, after Fiona Apple and this amazing artist. Oh, my God. Walt. Yeah, it's like, it's crazy. Dude, we're on not only with a movie star. Now we have a rock star, music <laughs> star. This is, Wait, we're going to download this. This Emil, is dope. you you just start, like, how long have you been doing music? Like, you said you have 22 songs that you, that you guys have done. When did you do yeah. your first song? The first song was the first album for... Uh, that was five years ago for the, okay. the movie. So we recorded a whole bluegrass album. Right. So I really I cut my teeth on the process of songwriting and everything like that and learning about it. And then I made a bunch of songs with other producers in between um, over the years. And then like a year and a half ago, me and Matthew started working together. And then we just kind of really partnered up and made this our main jam. And we've been, we've been making songs during quarantine all like, send him ideas and we'll get together. And we even like recorded like socially distanced. We're like, I bought him like a 40 foot microphone cord. So I'm like in the other wing of, I'm in the other wing of the house. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're we're still still going for it. And like, for me, it's just something that I love doing. And I, you know, I love music and it's not, it's not like about like, it's definitely not about money because in order to make, money in the music business like i looked at my the the money that we made it was like you've made 500 dollars <laughs> right like, exactly like it's that, that it's a really tough business to like make money but for me i just love music and i it, there's a longevity to it too like you can go back and listen to songs from, i still listen to so many old songs from like 40 years ago 50 years ago oh that's what i live off of i live off of all of these old school songs and I I also make music and for me, you know, I've done the same thing that you've done where I look at it and I'm like, wow, I mean, 300 bucks this month off that song. And it's like, you don't do it for the money. It's so therapeutic and just fun to do. Will you ever go on tour, Emil? Oh, I like that. Oh, I would in a heartbeat for sure. That's, yeah. that's dope. That's really cool. Yeah, I would in a heartbeat for sure. I mean, 
we have 22 songs. If we get like another, I don't know how many, but I really want to get enough to where like, if we have like a live performance, like lineup of songs, you know, they're just, the thing I don't like is when there's like one song everybody wants to hear and then the rest people don't know or they don't care about. Like I would, I would really want something that like everybody dug. And right. you know, there's such a, sti- there's such a stigma around actors that do music. Right. It's honestly one of people's like most relished stigmas. Like they really, it's like, Oh, actor music. Well, mu- <laughs> well musicians, as you know, historically want to act and actors want to do music. But I will tell you, it's so weird to have a stigma because actors are artists and artists do everything. So I think like when actors do music, it's I just pretty think awesome. If you grow up in the arts, you're you doing grow up everything. In the arts. Exactly. Know? Exactly. I agree with that. Yeah. I, with that. I do think though that, you know, it did take me, you know, a good five years of songwriting before we started making songs that like we're getting on these types of playlists that we're on, on Spotify and Deezer and all these places. So it wasn't, it wasn't, it's definitely not something that was like, if you tried to jump into it and like make an album in a month and do it for the first time, like I could see how that could go real south real quick, you know? (laughs) But I think, I think because we had so much time to like keep learning and listening to more music and like kind of adjusting and finessing, it was, I mean, five years is like kind of a like i look back on it i'm like Gosh. that's a long time yeah it's like a long time you know what i mean yeah that's you you made something that is amazing because i know exactly those people you're talking about that push an album out in a month and you're like you know the first song you can tell how much they worked on it and then the rest of the songs are like what you were talking about like they kind of it goes south well yeah i gotta say first of all we're, we're running out of time here, but I got to say something, Emil. Anything I'm about you to do, download every song. Oh, no, I know you has. will. By the way, Emil, she'll, she'll know all your songs by the next time we see you. But um, I just got to say, I just got to say, I can't thank you enough for, for being on our show and doing this for us and doing it under the situation that we're all living in. You're an amazing artist, amazing performer. Your music, everybody should download it and check it out. And uh, is there anything you want to say before we say lovey or goodbye or au revoir, well, whatever you say. Thank you so much for, <laughs> thank you so much for having me on. And I know it's a difficult time for everybody right now. So I just want to give shout out to everyone and all the, all the, everybody, everybody keeping the world running right now. You know, I went to the grocery store the other day and I was like thanking the people bagging the groceries. I was like, dude, you got, you guys are the heroes right now. You know what I mean? So I agree. Just res- respect to everybody that is keeping the world running right now. Like they, they really are the heroes. Um, and just thanks for, thanks for having me on, man. I, I, I really, I've really appreciated our relationship from the very beginning and it's a lot of fun and you guys are special people. So I was super happy to come on and, and, you know, there's nothing funner, more fun <laughs> than like, uh, there's nothing more fun than like a musician peddling their music. So I, I do relish it. the opportunity to. Oh, I love oh, that. That's awesome. Emil, thank you so much. Emil, We're it's like an really honor. thankful to, for having you. Yes, it's an honor. Thank you, thank Emil. You guys. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, right. Emil Hirsch. You guys have a great day. Damn, I love when our guests leave me super inspired. Like, I need to go out and work a lot harder now. Did he motivate you on Monday? Yeah, he motivated me on Monday. Okay. So that was amazing. You guys, I want to thank you so much for listening to Give Them Lala with Randall. We love you guys. We hope you stay safe and healthy and slay the day, babies. We'll see you next week. 
Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.